Well, today we have a fun, fun topic all about suffering. For today's reading, we will be moving to 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 through 25. So begin to turn there. Get your Bible set. Now, the, the verse right before this, verse 18, actually starts the paragraph that Peter is using. But for some reason, the lectionary does not have us read that. I do, though, want us to understand what it is that he's saying there. Um, in, in verse 18, he says, Slaves, accept authority of your masters with all difference. Not only those who are kind and gentle, but also those who are harsh. This is what he begins everything on. And, and he, he is beginning to address his readers as slaves. Now, slavery, I want us to understand, slavery in the Greco-Roman time period is vastly different than slavery from American history. They were not the same. We cannot equate these two. Now, I don't have time to go into all the differences but trust me, they are there, and maybe someday I'll teach a class on it. I, I don't know, but he makes this claim about how we are sub to submit to our masters. And he does so, as we'll soon see, not because we respect our masters, but because we respect God. With the tie-in from last week, God as father and God as judge. We reverently fear him. And so with that thought today about us being slaves, submitting to masters because we reverently fear God, with that thought, let us read 1 Peter chapter 2, 19 through 25. If you are able, I ask that you please stand with me for this reading. It says, for it is a credit to you if being aware of God, you endure pain while suffering unjustly. If you endure when you are beaten for doing wrong, what credit is that? But if you endure when you do right and suffer for it, you have God's approval. For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you should follow in his steps. He committed no sin, and no deceit was found in his mouth. When he was abused, he did not return abuse. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but he entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. For he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord, and together we say, thanks be to God. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, speak to us today. Speak to us your, your, your thoughts about how we are to be addressing this, this issue of, of suffering, this issue of, of being slaves, of, of what we are supposed to do in this world when we face persecution. Lord, let your Holy Spirit speak to our hearts so that we might understand. It is in your name we pray. Amen. Well, 
during our, our, our discussion from last week, we were introducing this radical idea, and trust me, it's, it's, a, it's a really radical idea that, that we are to live completely different from the way the world thinks. And, and we, we live differently from the world because of this paradigm shift that happens with the empty cross and everything that changes because of it. And so instead of doing things because they're beneficial to us, instead of doing things because they are for our profit, we find ourselves serving God because we recognize him as both our father and our judge. And this new perspective calls us to a life that's going to have a fair bit of suffering involved with it. As if Peter understood that this would be a challenge for the church, he gives them this encouragement, this, this, just this little tiny bit of hope for all the times that they are going to face of suffering. Now, there are many different forms of suffering we can experience within this life, and I want us to be clear about what form we are talking about because it vastly impacts then how we approach everything. And so we need to kind of decide where we are going with this. Now, the, the first form of suffering that we can experience, this, this is one that I suffer with every September. Every September time, I suffer because I swear Red Lobster does it to me just to make me feel bad. And yes, I do believe a multi-billion dollar company plans their menu around me because I'm that special. Just kidding. I, I really don't think they, I think it's just because of how they do it. But the fact remains, every September time, specifically around my birthday, all you can eat shrimp come up. Boy, do I love shrimp. I, I, I love shrimp. Shrimp's good. And I love going to Red Lobster and getting all you can eat shrimp. I sit down at the table and I tell the waitress, ma'am, I'm going to eat a lot of shrimp. So if you want, you can have them stacked up like two or three orders at a time ready to go because I'm going to eat a lot of shrimp. My record is at a Red Lobster down in Lansing where I ate 128 shrimp. 128 shrimp. Amy will testify that it is true. Along with three or four Cheddar Bay biscuits and a whole bunch of the rice, because I don't get those tiny little popcorn shrimp or anything like, no, no, it's not the little tiny things. I get the big things, the, the shrimp scampi that, that come with a whole bunch of butter and, and the ones that come with all the rice sides. So I eat a lot of food, and I suffered for that. That is what we call self-inflicted suffering. I know the human body is not meant to eat that much shrimp. But I still force myself to eat that much shrimp. And so I suffer for it. It's self-inflicted. Something I knew I shouldn't do. I pushed myself and I did it anyways. And I paid the price for it. But there's another kind of suffering that we can experience. You see, when I was growing up, my parents, being good parents, wanted to raise us children to know how to behave in church. 
Now, with that, my father was usually involved with worship, and so it left my mother to wrangle four children. Needless to say, she was ruthless in how she kept us to behave. There were times, I'll admit, that I didn't behave so well. There were times where I didn't want to sit down. I didn't want to act the way I wanted to. And because of that, I earned a trip to the parking lot for a discussion. For the children who've never had a trip to the parking lot for a discussion, my mom took me outside and spanked me, okay? It was a very quick discussion. You'll behave. Smack, smack, stop crying, go inside. And she did that because she, want, she loved me, and she wanted me to learn how to behave. And it's because she set down these rules, you see. And I broke the rules, and thus there was consequences. And so my suffering was directly tied to my guilt. You're guilty of something? You get punished for it. That's, that's a form of suffering. But both of these are not the kinds of suffering that we are talking about today. These forms of suffering, they're not virtuous. And they're not the lesson that Peter is trying to teach the church or us today. Instead, no, what Peter has, has learned since the time that the cross became empty was that there's a, there's a different kind of suffering. There's a right kind of suffering that every Christian has the privilege of sharing in. When we live as Christ, we, we face the right kind of suffering. This is huge. So, then it comes, what is this right kind of suffering? This right kind of suffering, if it is not the self-inflicted kind of suffering, especially, I, I don't think Peter would have ever talked about self-inflicted suffering from eating 128 shrimp, but it's not the self-inflicted suffering that he's talking about. It's not this guilty kind of suffering where you've broken the rules. And so, if it's neither of these, what is it? Well, it is suffering brought on by injustice. Suffering from injustice. I want us, though, to be very careful with this phrase because our culture has kind of hijacked this phrase a bit over the years. You could find news articles all about suffering for injustice, and if you were to read them, you would find out that it really isn't injustice that they're suffering in suffering for injustice is where you are doing what is right and yet you are being punished as if you are doing wrong. But more specifically to this text, what Peter is telling the Christians is that you have to be suffering for doing right as if you are doing wrong because of your belief in God. That is a huge difference it's not just suffering. It's not just suffering because of someone else. It is because of your faith in God. That's the kind of suffering for injustice that he is addressing. And there are some very real examples that we have even today 
of how this plays out within our lives. First and foremost, you have to think about in biblical times, this was a huge issue. Again, in Greco-Roman time, they wanted to maintain order and structure. The Roman emperor had a, a huge empire. He had so many different people with so many different cultures. He had to try to get all these people to not revolt so he could keep order and power. So the Roman Empire issued rules about how the family structure is supposed to be. You're supposed to love your family. You're supposed to do all these things. You're supposed to obey your family, and your devotion is to your family. And because if they got all the families to be devoted to each other, they could get all the families devoted to the governing authorities, which then would be devoted to the emperor. Then along comes this Jesus guy who throws everything out of control because all of a sudden he's saying, hey, you're going to be a part of this kingdom where father is against son and daughter is against mother and everyone is not going to be allegiance to their blood family. Instead, they're going to be with their Christian families, their church family, and their first loyalty is going to be God and his kingdom and his family, not those they were born with. And so what happened for Christians at that time were... They were disowned. They were mistreated, abused, and, and cast off from their families because they, they were putting the church ahead of their blood relatives. And that was a horrible, horrible thing. That was a suffering for injustice because if you didn't have your family to be a part of, you lost benefits and privileges and your, your wealth, your inheritance, and you gave that all up to follow God. Now, we don't have this, at least quite like this, in America today, but in other parts of the world, specifically parts of the world where Islam is the main religion, you do have this still. If someone in a, a region where Islam is the main religion becomes a Christian, they will be disowned by their families. They will be hostile to those people. They will even be killed because of their faith in God. That is the right kind of suffering because the right kind of suffering is always connected to serving God. And we cannot forget that. It is the key. And, and while there may be all these other kinds of sufferings we can experience in life, the only right kind of suffering must be connected in our service and loyalty to God himself. Because anything else, there, there is no meaning in it. And Peter especially hits his heart when he talks about the fact that if you suffer for doing what's wrong, congratulations, you broke a rule and you got punished for it. There, there's no glory in it. There's no honor. We're not going to stand by and clap our hands and say, oh, you're so brave for breaking the law and then getting punished for it. That's not what he's trying to talk to them about. Only when serving God do we face the right kind of suffering. And face suffering, we will, church. Don't be misled. We will face suffering. We are facing suffering. And so Peter goes on here in verses 21, and 20, 21 through 23 with the example by which we are to follow in these times of suffering. Because he's not just saying, hey, congratulations, you're suffering for God kudos to you. He's saying, and this is what you are to do when you are in those times. Now, you may realize that this section is actually a quote 
from a different part of the Bible? You Bible scholars out there, I know you're out there. You're, you're saying it is right here. Uh, he's, he's pulling from the servant song in Isaiah chapter 53. And this, this passage in Isaiah 53 is, is tremendously important to how we understand Christ because it is tied to the Messiah. Everything that the Messiah was going to be, was going to face, and who he is and why he did it. All of that comes together. And so I want us to appreciate what Peter is alluding to here. And the only way to do that is to read it. So I'm going to read this, okay? Uh, the, the Suffering Servant Song, Isaiah 53. It says, Who has believed what we have heard? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by others, a man of suffering and acquainted with infirmity. And as one from whom others hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him of no account. Surely he has borne our infirmities and carried our diseases, yet we accounted him stricken, struck down by God and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the punishment that made us whole, and by his bruises we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have all turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearer is silent. So he did not open his mouth. By a perversion of justice, he was taken away. Who could have imagined his future? For he was cut off from the land of living, stricken with the transgressions of my people. They made his grave with the wicked and his tomb with the rich, although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him with pain. When you make his life an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring and shall prolong his days. Through him, the will of the Lord shall prosper. Out of his anguish, he shall see light. He shall find satisfaction through his knowledge. The righteous one, my servant, shall, be many, shall make many righteous and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will allot him a portion with the great and he shall divide the spoil of the strong because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This is the way that Christ suffered for the sake of serving God. And he did it so that we might have an example to follow. This is what Peter says, and I, I, I love it so much. For to this you have been called. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. We're not called out of suffering. We're not called to somehow escape it or, or that if we're facing suffering, we're somehow sinful people that deserved it. We're called to follow in Christ's steps, to be like a lamb before it's sheer silent, facing all these troubles. Because we serve God. when we become Christians, when we accept that Christ has died for our sins, and, and when we realize the power and the change that occurs with the empty cross, we are called into a life of suffering rightly. And we embrace 
this life that is unfair, this suffering life, because Christ did it first and he has become our example. That's why we do it. What becomes a challenge for us then is to live out the example that he gave us. And I warn you that this can only be done if we are trying to do this because we are serving God and we can only do it through the power that God gives us. Any other way is not going to work. You see, like Christ, we don't trade abuse for abuse. Now, some might think, well, doesn't that make us a doormat? Yes, that makes you a doormat when you are serving God. If all of a sudden we become persecuted because of our faith, the first response we should not have is to fight against those who are seeking to do us harm. When Christ suffered, he didn't threaten. Church, when we face conflicts, and arguments about how our faith is a sham, how Christianity is stupid, and how we don't, don't need to do any of it, and it's all wrong, and we're, we're just hypocrites, and we're evil, and we're trying to convert people to this pagan idea, and all, whatever it might be, the, the first words out of our mouth should not be threats to those people. America is on a tipping point that most of the world has already gone through, and it's not falling in the favor of Christianity. But I'm okay with that. And you should be too, because we've already been told that we're going to face suffering for following God. It's inevitable. So we just need to accept that reality, but instead we cannot handle it the way that we would do it as humans. We cannot react with the words that we would if we were just people. We need to follow the example set by Christ and like him entrust ourselves to the judge who judges justly. Of course, this always leads us to why. Why? We need to get to the point of why because why, the why of an idea is the motivator. It is, it's, it's the meat of the, the conversation. It is the heart of, of what we do. And so when it comes to suffering, the heart of the issue is why would Christ suffer for us? Why would Christ suffer for us? Quite simply, Christ suffered for us because by facing momentary, the key word there being momentary suffering, he was able to give freedom to all those who seek him for eternity. Momentary suffering for eternal freedom to serve him, to be with him. That's a pretty good deal. Look at verses 24 through 25. He says, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that free from sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, we have been healed. For you were going astray like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your souls. That's the gospel message for us today, church. Christ allowed himself to face un unimaginable, unmentionable suffering so that we might have a chance to be free. So that we might have the ability to live a life like him, to live in righteousness instead of sinfulness. This has huge implications for the church. 
We are not freed from sin so that we might not face punishment. It's not a get-out-of-jail-free card. It's not a, a fire insurance card from hell. We are not forgiven for our wrongs so that we can enjoy a guilt-free life. We are freed from our sins so that we might live for righteousness, so we might live for Christ, so we might suffer for Christ. And this is the real challenge for us today, church. If Christ, facing momentary suffering, could bring about freedom for sin, then imagine what our momentary suffering can do for others as well. Imagine with me, just just for a moment, think about what if the whole purpose of us suffering rightly for Christ is to be a tool that God uses within our lives to help demonstrate his love to other people? What if our suffering is connected to the response the connected to the response to the why of Christ's suffering. When we respond as Christ in our suffering, we become then a part of his work on the cross so that others might continue to respond to that freedom from sin. That's the whole idea. If we momentarily suffer so that others might also find freedom in Christ, what a blessing that is for us. To help form a, a larger perspective on, on this idea, I, I turn to Charles Spurgeon again. Uh, he's, he's such a great theologian, such a great writer, and he, he wrote about this, and I, I read it this past week, and I cannot get it out of my head. He says, the path of the Christian is not always bright with sunshine. He has his seasons of darkness and storm. True, it is written in God's word, her ways are ways of pleasantness, and all her paths are peace. And it is a great truth that religion is calculated to give a man happiness below as well as bliss above. But experience tells us that if the course of the just be as the shining light that shineth more and more unto the perfect day, yet sometimes that light is eclipsed. At certain periods, clouds cover the believer's sun, and he walks in darkness and sees no light. There are many who have rejoiced in the presence of God for a season. They have the green pastures by the side of the still waters, but suddenly they find the glorious sky is clouded. Instead of the land of Goshen, they have to tread the sandy desert. In the place of sweet waters, they find troubled streams, bitter to their taste, and they say, Surely, if I were a child of God, this would not happen. Oh, say not so. Thou who art walking in darkness, the best of God's saints must drink the wormwood. The dearest of his children must bear the cross. No Christian has enjoyed perpetual prosperity. No believer can always keep his heart from the willows. Perhaps the Lord allotted you at first a smooth and unclouded path because you were weak and timid. He tempered the wind to the shorn lamb. But now that you are stronger in the spiritual life, you must enter upon the riper and rougher experiences of God's full-grown children. We need winds and tempests to exercise our faith, to tear off the rotten bows of self-dependence, and to root us more firmly in Christ. The day of evil reveals to us the value of our glorious hope. 
I just love that. I, I don't know how else to express it. It is amazing. Peter wrote this letter to churches in the midst of persecution, in the midst of suffering. They are facing all sorts of trials. They're facing death and everything. And he says, suffer rightly. Because Christ suffered first. Keep on suffering because it's for the glory of God. For most people, this would be an absolute insanity. But for the church, it makes complete sense. For Christians who have experienced the change that happens with the empty cross, there's nothing sweeter than to experience suffering for our God. Suffering is never fun. I'm not trying to make it out to be. But suffering for Christ is truly rewarding. It is a reality of our life as a Christian, and it is a call that we have been entrusted with, but we also have the perfect example to follow in our Savior. So whatever kind of suffering it is that you are facing today, take heart and look to Jesus for your strength. He will guide you in the way of suffering rightly. He will instruct you. He will be with you. Let us pray. Oh God, help us today in the midst of sufferings. May we look to you. May we see the perfect example of your son as he suffered for us. And may we live like that so that we might live in righteousness because you have freed us from sin. Might we bear our cross of suffering in this world so that others might also see what you have done and know that you are making all things right. Lord, help us. Because it's not easy. And it breaks our hearts. But we know that you have called us to this for greater things. As we close, I encourage you to, to turn your hands upwards to, to receive the blessing of the benediction today. Holy Shepherd, you know your sheep by name and lead us to safety through the valleys of death. Guide us by your voice that we may walk in certainty and security to the joyous feast prepared in your house when we celebrate with you forever. Amen. I now send you out into your communities. Make Christ-like disciples. Go in the grace of God.